No, it's great to be great to be back sharing with you. And if you're a visitor here today, we're, we're so chuffed that you're here with us. So if you're a visitor, we, we just want to applaud you. Thanks so much for coming and standing with the baptizees. Thank you. It's brilliant, brilliant to have you with us. And if you've got, you know, if you've got questions like the like Joe and Charlotte were talking about, you know, just how they've worked through faith, you know, you, you just we love chatting this stuff through. So uh, just bear that in mind, won't you? So for all of us, we're cracking on with this amazing book called Joshua. So the word Joshua means he who saves, saviour. And of course, it was reminiscent of Jesus. So there is a, a mighty Joshua, but there's an even greater Joshua that we've been talking about today, and that's Jesus himself. So um, if you haven't been uh, following the series and you just want a quick update, we're up to chapters five and six. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and uh, we're going to be looking at the way in which Jericho uh, was no longer an obstacle, blocking the way for the Israelites coming into the Promised Land. So this is a fascinating couple of chapters. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read sections of it. I can't possibly uh, talk through chapters five and six in the short time I've got, but there's a key moment for the Israelites, which of course is the taking of Jericho. So, Lord, come and talk to us. Come and talk to us, Lord. You're so present by your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we feel your love in the room. We thank you for Joe and Charlotte's testimony. Wow. Thank you for tears. Thank you for emotion. Thank you for a heart that is changed from a heart of stone to a heart of love. A heart of warm, beating flesh. A heart that's able to receive your love. Thank you that we can drop our guard with you, Lord. We can truly become ourselves. You've got so much to speak to us about this morning. We pray for the eyes of our hearts to be opened up to your truth. So come and help us now as we dwell in your amazing word. And all that you did with this nation of Hebrews who have been the, if you like, the how can I call it, the seedbed for the nations, that you took one nation and from them you would bring a saviour, another Joshua, who would become our beautiful older brother, but our Lord and saviour as well. So you, Lord Jesus, come amongst us, Lord Jesus. We want to see you more clearly today. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read to you from, uh, we're going to, start guys I think we're going to start from around about verse 9 or 10 aren't we so if we can just bring that up yep so what's happened is that uh, the, the, the guys who are in the wilderness the second generation the children of those who wandered in the desert they've all been circumcised so they've all been set apart now consecrated the men have been consecrated to God so that that sign of Circumcision means now you are devoted to the Lord, you are consecrated to him. So this second generation is a generation of faith that have not been uh, disobedient in the desert and they're now, uh, they've come through uh, the Red Sea, they've come across the Jordan and now they are facing the first big battle of their lives to walk, to come into the promised land and and into all that it's got for them. So Jericho stands in front of them as a mighty obstacle, and they have to decide what they're going to do. So we pick up the story 
in verse 9, he says this, uh, the Lord to Joshua, uh, now that the men have, have been circumcised, so they're true Israelites, and God says this, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. And there's a, have you not sensed that? Just the, the, the baptism does that. I mean, there's so many themes here this morning. Just the rolling away of the past. It's gone. Just as we buried Joe and Charlotte in, in the water. They disappeared from view. It was a watery grave. And so the same kind of idea, the shame of the past has gone. And all that disobedience in the desert is done with. And now there's an amazing next step for them. So verse 10, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, it's a celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, the shofar, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. And then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they marched again around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, 
as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Now this bit's difficult and I'm going to come to it in my preach. Bear with me if you feel, gosh, this, is, this next bit's tough to read. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze or iron is sacred to the Lord, not you. That's me saying that. And must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers and all the other relatives who were with her. That should have been everyone in Jericho, by the way, could have been saved. I'll just say that now, in case someone's already stumbling over this. That could have been everyone in Jericho. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made of silver, gold, bronze or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. And so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Wow. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and... I love it. Except that Joshua didn't. He didn't fight the battle of Jericho. God did. God fought his battles for him. Catchy tune, but Yahweh fought that battle. This is the battle that wasn't in one sense. So the focus of the story of Jericho isn't really about the battle at all. The outcome's already been announced in advance. God told them what was going to happen. So the battle was really all about obedience and worship. And that's for us. So I wonder if there's a slide that we can put up very early on in this talk about the first strap line of our mission statement, which is gather in friendship and family. We are gathering as an obedient people to worship him and to pray. That's what we're going to do right through this year. And when we gather in obedience and worship, God is able to do amazing things. And so God gives the Israelites success. They advance in God's purposes as they follow God's directions for them. So the early chapters, as I've said, are all about this believing second generation who begin to come out of the wilderness and take the land. They're beginning to put their full confidence in Yahweh, not like their mothers and fathers. And this consecration uh, now means that they are full of faith 
and longing to be obedient. And Joshua is being exalted like Moses in their eyes as we go through these early chapters. But let's come to the Jericho story because I really want to concentrate on that. Jericho is blocking their way forward. They are going to have to capture and destroy Jericho. The reason why is because of what Martin said to us a few weeks back. You remember he showed a picture of Molech, the god. These detestable, disgusting, obscene practices of the pagan heathen in Canaan, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, were sacrificing their own children. They were getting up to all sorts of disgraceful and appalling practices as they appeased their gods. And these evil practices, these vicious gods, all pose a huge threat to the true people of God. In other words, if the Israelites did not deal with Jericho, they would have been annihilated. And so none of what we have ahead from the Old into the New Testament would ever have happened. And, and Jesus coming from the Hebrews, this would have been a different story. This had to be a defeat for the Canaanites. And so therefore we must remember that the manna has now stopped from heaven. And there's a moment where God says, okay, you are now going to live off the produce of the land. You are now no longer going to be spoon-fed. And I was just thinking about the word spoon-fed. I thought about a baby's incubator. I don't know if any of you are nurses here who work in the intensive care units, but a baby ward of incubators is an astonishing sight. These little perspex boxes. I, I'm, I'm, this is me not knowing really what I'm talking about here, but I, I understand that they will be a, a regulated temperature uh, the baby's lungs might not be fully developed if it's born before like 37 weeks or so. And these precious little mites are there uh, receiving intensive care. And I kind of felt, you know, God wants to say to us straight away, you are, okay, I bring you into the incubator when you first become a Christian, but you're not meant to stay in the incubator. And just as the Israelites were to come out of the wilderness and grow up into the promised land and be God's precious treasure his holy people, there to come into an understanding that by faith now we live. We don't get given manna. We don't get spoon-fed. You're out of the incubator and into full maturity. Anyone here feeling, actually, I feel it's safe in the incubator? God's, I want to stay there, Lord. Maybe that's a word for you. It's nice and warm in here. I don't want to come out. I want people to look after me. And there are one or two people here thinking, actually, I know that God's calling me to become brave in my circumstances and leave intensive care and stand on my own two feet trusting him. Who are you? You don't need to put your hand up. But that's speaking to someone or a few people in the room. You're not meant to stay in the incubator. You're not meant to be saying God manner without me needing to do anything. So Israel must go forward. That's the whole focus of Joshua chapters 1 to 12. This generation has arrived in Canaan but Jericho is a barrier from the beginning. It'll be interesting, back in chapter two, Jericho is on Joshua's mind from the beginning. That's where he sent the spies. And so we now realise that consuming Joshua's thinking is this thing, what are we going to do with Jericho? Maybe you're thinking that about your own circumstances. What am I going to do with this thing blocking my way? There's this mighty kind of impregnable citadel that I, I can't negotiate my way round. There's this thing in my life that I, I, what are you going to do with this, Lord? And um, Joshua seems to have gone out on a reconnaissance mission of his own. He's kind of standing by 
Jericho, he's on his own. I wonder what he's thinking. He's probably thinking, we weren't able to cross the flooded Jordan on our own. We were certainly not able to uh, overcome Jericho. We're just, we're not even militarily sharp and seasoned and hardened. We're just a, a wandering nomadic people who are not used to fighting. We're stuffed, Lord, unless you come through for us. Now, if you've studied philosophy and ethics, uh, to maybe you've done an A-level in that, or you've touched on that in RE, uh, GCSE, there's a beautiful word I want to bring to you, and it's the word numinous. I love my words. The word numinous simply means sacred, mysterious, otherworldly, holy. Joshua has a numinous encounter with a very strange figure as he's looking at Jericho and thinking, man, what are we going to do? We're just, we're just an untrained, ragtag bunch of people who've come a very long way in a long period of time. And there's this encounter with this mysterious figure who's standing in front of him. It's unexpected and it's dramatic. And he's armed. And Joshua initially sees this a man, is it, in front of me? But he later discovers, he realises this mysterious person is more than a man. He comes with the authority of God. He comes and gives divine instructions and think this isn't any ordinary man here. He's clearly a warrior. His sword is drawn. He's ready for military action. This person, not Joshua, this person's ready for action. And you might think this is threatening, but Joshua's a kind of tough guy. He's really becoming a leader of people. And he goes up to him. That, take, that took guts. I mean, the man's got a drawn sword. He doesn't know who he is. And then Joshua asks him this crazy question. You know, are you for us or are you for them? And the man gives no direct answer. Maybe you've been asking God, are you for me or are you against me, Lord? And you don't seem to be giving me a direct answer. I'm wrestling with you. A little bit like Jacob with the angel. And yet Joshua doesn't wrestle with this man. He's too wise to do that. The guy's got a sword. But actually, he's asking a question, but it's the wrong question. The answer that this strange man actually gives shows that this is no ordinary man because he announces that he is the commander of the armies of the Lord. And so such, as such, he is neither there for Israel or for their adversaries. And we need to understand that. That God's heart was for Canaanites, Amorites, Jebusites, Hivites, Hittites. He's for them. He wishes no one to perish. It's the wrong question because he has not, God has not come to take sides. He's come to take charge of my life and your life. So we ask the wrong questions. All God wants us to do is kneel in adoration and worship and he will keep us safe and he will lead us on and we will not need to fight the battle that's in front of us. God supernaturally will remove your Jericho from you. Do you believe that? It's about worship. It's about obedience. It's about hearing his voice. It's about trusting him. It's not about doing it in your own strength. We can't do it. We're just frail. We're frail, we're not just bald, balding, Joe, grey and old, we're getting overweight, we're getting slowing down, we're, 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 who are we? We're, we're frail human flesh, we're pots of clay. And Joshua does what only I hope I would do and I think I would do, is you fall to the ground and you worship this person 
you don't mess with someone like this. This drawn sword symbolises judgment on the Canaanites and it had been long time coming as, as we've been hearing in our sermon series. You go back to Genesis 15 and it says this, the sins of the Amorites, that's like the Canaanites, do not yet warrant their destruction. In other words, God's amazing patience saying, if you will turn from these detestable practices, I will forgive you. Do not sacrifice your babies. Do not do, not do what you're doing. There, there is a better way, and it's with me, Yahweh. Leviticus 18, verse 28 says something really strong. We need to understand this because what we've read is quite shocking. Leviticus 18, do not defile the land, says God to the Israelites. Don't give it a reason to vomit you out. Yep, vomit's in the Bible, all right? Do not give the land a reason to vomit you out as it will do to those living in it now. So there's this nauseous feeling in God's guts if I can anthropomorphise him for a moment. That what, what this sin of the Amorites are doing has made him sick to his guts. And so as commander of heaven's armies, he has a message for Joshua and the message is not strategy on how to take Jericho, but take off your shoes. You are standing on, hollow, on, on holy ground. Do you know what? That's all he gets. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. You're thinking, I wish you'd talk more to me, God. Maybe all God wants to say to you this morning is the same thing. Kneel before me. Take off your shoes. Do whatever is right to show that attitude of obeisance of trust, of faith. Give up the fight. Stop fighting me. Stop fighting me. I've got you safe in the palm of my hand. So Joshua gets told to take his sandals off. It so reminds you of Moses, his mentor, doesn't it? You know, the burning bush. Take off your sandals, Moses. And that thread running through the Bible, it's so joined up. The Bible is so coherent it's an amazing book. And Joshua is being encouraged to know the mighty power of Yahweh. If it's holy ground, it means God is present. And when God is present, he is always present with power. He is present with power this morning and he wants to minister to his people. There is power in this room. And as we pray for each other, as we lay hands on each other in this almost post-COVID world we're in, or we keep our discreet distance. But as we pray for each other, power can be released in each other's lives to help us, to heal us, to encourage us, to strengthen us and build us up. So let's just spend a little bit more time about this strange person. I've read the commentaries on this. So who is this, this strange person? Is it an angel with a special commission? Is it a momentary descent by God himself into visibility as one commentator said is it the Lord Jesus himself a temporary incarnation of the son of God and I think we get I think I understand who I think he is I wonder what you who you think he is I think because of Joshua's total submission to his authority he falls flat on his face in front of him I think this is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus and he's here today amongst us now Joshua has all the responsibilities of a human leader 
but the heavenly warrior has come to dictate strategy. And there's a, and a very important um, tension between those two ideas. So um, Joshua has actually got to go into Jericho to fight, but actually it's not until Joshua's lying on his face worshipping that he actually receives the battle instructions. So when Joshua goes to look at his problem, he ends up finding he's meeting God instead. And that's where we're going. So as you're looking at your problem, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's the message of this. So the question is not whether the Lord is on our side or not. The the question is, am I submitted to his sovereign rule in my life? Just like Joe and Charlotte said, he's Lord of my life now. That's why they were ready for baptism. as, As Ben said, it's the external sign of what's already happened internally. We don't put the cart before the horse. We become disciples of Jesus, then we get baptised. And so I'm thinking about us in Eastbourne and how we're going. Why are we looking through Joshua? It's because we're getting our battle instructions. Now Joshua might have thought, well I need to think about earthworks. I need to think about you know, ramps made up to build up like, like the Romans did at Masada, if you know the story of that. They've got building earthworks so they can walk up these earth ramps and take take these strong fortress walls. Maybe we need to build scaling ladders. Maybe we need siege engines. We need, you know, all those amazing machines that you saw. You remember Gladiator, how that that film starts and admire. Was it that, what did Russell Crowe say? Admire instruction, unleash hell. You know, perhaps he's thinking, I'm seeing some smiles around the room at this point. I'm seeing some slightly mystified faces as well. It's the beginning of Gladiator, great film. Okay, I'll move on. Keep going, keep to script, Clive. Okay, so in other words, you know, we're not thinking about digging trenches, doing what, you know, what are we doing, Lord? How do we take Jericho? No, stop thinking about that. Um, you don't need to worry about how to break into this fortified city. It's actually as you take your sandals off and worship that you'll get into Jericho. Isn't that counterintuitive? So you're, as you worry your problem, as you go at it like a dog with a bone, He's saying, can I please take the bone away from you? <laughs> okay. Can you please come into my presence? So our church, it's not about what are we going to do next? How are we going to do this? Actually, we're gathering in friendship and family to pray and to call on God. And I think one of the most exciting meetings in our week is when the corporate church is together. I, I dream of all of this coming to pray and more and those of you at home come on guys those of you at home watching this live stream I I long to see the whole church assemble where together we hear the prophetic word of God isn't that exciting it's not just kind of you know leaders of hood we've gone up the mountain guys and this is where we're going next no that's important at times but actually it's when the whole church gets excited together about the purposes of God and we hear it at the same time do I hear an amen Great. So, chapter six, and I'll, I'll, I'll come into land soon. They're preparing for a difficult siege, Jericho. The inhabitants of Jericho, no one's allowed in and no one's allowed out. They're battening down the hatches. And uh, <laughs> poor old Israel, they are now completely reliant on God's help. They're just no military experience, as I've said. But before battle begins, God has announced that victory. So, but here's the interesting thing I just alluded to a moment ago. It's not going to be delivered to them on a plate. That tension I talked about a little bit earlier, 
this is, you know, just because God's told you how it's gonna, the, what the outcome's gonna be doesn't mean it's a justification for you and me for inactivity. So you've got stuff to do in your life. You've got to get up in the morning and say, God, here I am, I'm facing my Jericho. I'm gonna worship, but I've got stuff to do this morning. I'm gonna take the next practical step in my circumstances. I'm gonna believe that you're with me. Now, the tactics in the Old Testament might have varied from occasion to occasion, but actually the principle always remained the same. You think of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles. You know, we don't know what to do. This army is marching towards us. And so they send out the worshippers ahead of the fighting men. We're going to praise. We're looking to you, Lord. We are looking to you. We're learning a deeper trust. Isn't this exciting? Isn't God giving you a what? Doesn't he give you a wild ride? Right, it says in the Psalms, he walks on the wings of the wind. Okay, you're going to have to do a little bit of this, all right? Kahuna, kahuna. <laughs> you're going to have to surf the wave. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> Nor do I. Okay, you, you've got to, you know, if you've done any paragliding, you're going to have to walk on the wings of the wind with God because that's where he likes to hang out. And he wants to take you with him. Peter, get out of the boat. Me? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go on a wild ride together of faith. Because faith's a great level. It's not about your education. It's not about your background. It's not about how rich or poor you are. It's about, it's a, faith is a leveller. Because every, you know, from the, from the king to the, you know, to the pauper, they've all got to have the same thing called faith. It's a leveller. I, I nearly went back into a Bill and Ted's adventure there, but another film I have about. You can be a king or a humble street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the reaper. I don't know why I, don't know why I said that to you, but you know, we're all going to die. You know, we, we've got to learn to live by faith. It, to stop worrying about you know, who you are, because the, the faith is a leveller. Anyway, shut up, Clive, and get on with your notes. Right, okay. So here we go. So. <laughs> The Israelites were under-equipped and inexperienced as fighting men. And you think about it for them. I feel, you know, I feel, I feel their pain and we've got to get into their, into their hearts and minds because you know, yet another impassable barrier. Maybe again you came here this morning thinking I shouldn't even be here, I should be, I should be um, giving up on this stuff because I've got this impassable barrier that God doesn't seem to be breaking for me. You know, and that the Israelites will be saying, how many more, Lord? You know, the River Jordan, the Red Sea, the River Jordan in flood, and now Jericho. And this sense of, why does it always seem to be bumping into stalemate? Maybe that very word stalemate was in your mind, where you think, I can't go forward, I can't go back, I'm not pawn to king four, I've lost my bishops. <laughs> You know, I'm at stalemate. We can't, we can't, there's no, there's no end to this game. Hallelujah, in God there is always breakthrough. And so no matter how inexperienced Israel was, this plan, this crazy plan, would never have been anything they would have dreamt up. And it was just such a simple exercise in, in believing a promise. And you've been given promises. And maybe some of you, you they've dropped out of your pocket March around the city once with seven priests in the middle, blowing your ram's horns. Do that for six days. On the seventh, march around the city seven times. And then a long blast on the horn and the people give a loud shout and the walls will come down. Militarily, that's 
nutcase land, isn't it? Isn't that our God? Maybe you've been asked to do something that makes no sense to you. We've got such a cloud of witnesses around us cheering us on this morning. Come on, come on, trust, come on. We're cheering you on. Don't worry about whether it makes sense to you or not. If you've been given that as a whisper into your heart and you know it's from God, believe it. Stand up, be strong, blow the horn, go forward. Come on. Uh, Can we have that slide grow in character and gifting? This is a growth in character for the Israelites. This is our vision statement for this year. How's your character getting on? Personality is God-given. Some of you are introverts, some of you are extroverts, some of you have done the Myers-Briggs psychometric test and found out and you've read back the description to someone who knows you where you think, yep, they say, yep, that's you. Your personality is God-given, but your character is going to be worked on by God and you can do it by setting up lots of Jerichos in your life. (laughs) We were just messing about before the meeting began and we were talking about, you know, he's a... He's, he's good, but he's not safe. We were talking about Aslan the Lion. God is so not safe. He's going to grow your character and take you through the Red Sea, the Jordan in flood, Jericho, and you, like them, are going to grow up to full maturity. Isn't that wonderful? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. If you're despairing about yourself this morning, he's not. He thinks you're, he thinks you're gorgeous. I can say that. I'm using anthropomorphic language again. He loves you to bits and he has a plan and he's going to finish that plan in your life and you are going to be complete. And on that day when you stand before him, no shame, no fear, just love and welcome. Now, let me just say this. There's so much to say in this, but I'll come into land now. The emphasis is not on Israel's fighting men, but on the ark. The ark, the very presence of God. The ark went round the walls of Jericho. So the very presence of God was there leading them. So there's not a shred of doubt about the outcome. It's an echo of the promise back in Joshua 1 verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. That includes Jericho. So the soles of your feet, I think as I said a a week or so back, are very important parts of your body and you need to walk forward using the soles of your feet because as you walk in faith, he will give us what we are asking him for. Not not without sadness, not without difficulty, not without all the vicissitudes of life, but our character is going to grow as we exercise faith. Now, just a word about the destruction of everything in the city. I said I'd come back to that, and I can't dodge it. We can't duck difficult things in the Bible. I thought Martin's preach was superb a few weeks ago, um, uh, talking about you know, who was this Molech god of the Canaanites. And I hope you were appropriately shocked and horrified by the detestable practices that the Israelites were coming into in Canaan. So... What are these things set apart for destruction? Well, the Hebrew word for devoted things, uh, I met all the time when I was in the Middle East. It's, for me in Arabic, it was haram. And haram in Arabic means unlawful, forbidden. It's things like, to a good Muslim, things that are haram are pork, gambling, alcohol. And the Hebrew word is harem, 
devoted things. And harem is a very powerful word in the Hebrew mindset. It's like halal is allowed, halal meat, halal butcher, meat that's been appropriately prepared for us to consume. The opposite of halal is haram in Arabic, harem in Jewish language, in Hebrew. And this harem means things completely consecrated to the Lord, given, or total destruction of those things. So it is that in one sense everything is, as the commentators say, is entirely and irrevocably his property. And once you get over that, you begin to understand what's going on here. In other words, in its most foundational sense, that every single person in this room and every single thing on this planet, is it Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it God owns everything because he created everything and he has the right to dispose of anything within the created order. Now that is offensive to our postmodern relativistic mindset. We think we're in charge, but we're not. And so Romans 9 verse 21 says this, what if God, desiring to help us understand his wrath at sin, and make known his power, has endured with great patience vessels of wrath. In other words, the Canaanites. So he has been incredibly patient with them over centuries, but they have continued their detestable practices. And so there can be no question about the justice of God's judgment against Jericho. Now here's the thing, Jericho could have surrendered. If you remember, they were melting with fear. Do you remember that? Now, as the armies of, well, as Israelites arrived, this ragtag bunch of nomadic people, they were, the Canaanites, Amorites, Jerusalemites were melting with fear. Why didn't they repent? Why, did, why were they not like Rahab and say, we recognise the true God is here? And yet in their stubbornness, they were, in their melting with fear, they said, no, you're not coming in. We're going to oppose, we're going to oppose the living God. You're not coming into our land. Now, if they had repented, they would have been spared. And so listen to this beautiful thing in Exodus 22. This is God to the Hebrews late, uh, in, deep in their laws. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember that you yourselves were once foreigners in Egypt. You hear the real heart of God here. Be careful how you interpret this this thing that happens in Jericho. Listen to Leviticus 19. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as you love yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. No, don't mess with him. You're to treat the foreigner as you treat your own kin. That's the love of God. But the Canaanites in Jericho are saying, we're not having any of that. They had a choice. And it's not as if Israel was perfect either. Let's just bring it all into land here because we read in Deuteronomy 9, it says this. God says to the Israelites, it's not because of your righteousness, Israel, or the uprightness of your heart that you're going in to possess their land. No, no, it's not about how smart and good and holy you are. It's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you that he may confirm the word he swore to your fathers. And so they're learning 
Obedience to be set apart as a nation for holiness, for life and not for judgment and destruction. This is difficult. This is offensive. This is our God. Our God is a consuming fire, but he is full of mercy. He's full, if he's, he has an unlimited patience and that, yeah, there will come a time, he says, no, I bring judgment. There will come a time. I'm working my way through an amazing book by Fleming Rutledge. It's called Advent. And it's the once and future coming of Jesus. He has been to this earth before and he is coming back. And he is coming back as the Lord of glory. And every eye shall see him. And those who pierced him shall mourn. And the Bible says, you know, get ready. Don't be like those foolish maids who did not have oil in their lamps. Come to understand him. Come to worship. He's full of mercy and love. And so... In the end, we do not engage in holy wars as Christians. Our kingdom is not geopolitical. Some religions are geopolitical, taking lands. And everyone who's born in that land becomes that faith. We have an unseen kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom in people's hearts. It's not the subjugation of lands and cities and nations. We don't engage in war against other human beings. We fight spiritual battles. The contemporary Jerichos, and we have many of them in this fair land, they are to collapse before the grace of God, not the sword. And the commander of the armies of the Lord is saying this to us, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so we need to understand the full sweep of history from the Old to the New Testament. When Jesus comes, Jesus lifts our eyes to see the battle beyond the perspective of time and space. It's in the heavenly realms. The eternal realities of the life of the world to come are what we're living in. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So you're not fighting individuals now. You're not, you're not even fighting wrong religious systems What you're fighting is what the Bible calls the world, the flesh and the devil. That's where our fight lies. And the enemy wants us to fight each other. He's never more happy than when we're fighting each other. We say, no, no, no. We're gathering in friendship. We are gathering as family. We're not going to fight one another. We are going to be in full unity. And when the, the unity of the body is together, what? can God not do when he sees a people submitted and obedient and worshipping together man we've seen nothing yet I've seen nothing yet I've seen some amazing things happen in the baptism pool out in the Middle East I've seen people delivered of demonic oppression as they go into the water I could tell you some stories that make your hair stand on end of some of the, some of the amazing things that God did when the power of the kingdom of light smashes into the kingdom of darkness now come on let's get Let's get together and worship and pray. Amen. Let's see what God will do. That's, that's where the battle is joined. That in prayer and worship. And we will get our battle instructions. We are called to trust Christ, our commander. The battle, you've heard this before, the battle really does belong to the Lord. He knows the end from the beginning. In the struggles that you came into this auditorium with he knows what you're facing and he knows exactly how to bring you into new ground 
gospel breakthrough, personal breakthrough, and a ripe harvest. What are we going to do with everybody? How are we going to fit everybody in? We need to get on our knees and pray. So Jericho, I'm done. It yielded to the sovereign authority of God himself. And it was believed on by the Israelites. And they marched together in obedience and unity. And they shouted with faith. And the walls came down. This is, I've shut up now, all right? Isn't it interesting? The footnote in some of your Bibles, the walls collapsed. So they, watch this. They didn't do this. They did this. Which means that God was undermining the problem all the time. So in other words, there was a pressure, an invisible hand pressing the wall down like that. He's doing that for you. He's chipping away at your problem, but he'll do it in his time. He's undermining your enemies. He's undermining that problem. Beneath your problem, there is gradually a big hole and your problem is going to fall through it. He didn't do that. He did that. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray and worship. Let's understand where God's taking us as a church. Holy Spirit, we love being together. Lord, just as the destruction of Jericho is instantaneous and terrifying, you are like that. You can suddenly appear and all flesh melts. Lord, we're in awe of you. Let the fear of God come on this room. But it's a filial fear. It's a fear of a son who knows how much his father loves him. It's not a servile fear. It's not a cringing fear. It's a beautiful fear of you, Lord, in all your glory and goodness. Come amongst us, Lord. Speak to us as a mighty army, an army of love, an army of servants, an army of people who will love their neighbour and love not their lives unto death. Come, Holy Spirit. Put that spirit among us, Lord. Put that spirit among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.